The Ku Klux Klan had no written history. Their constitution declared that the origin, mysteries, and ritual of this order shall never be written, but shall be communicated orally. This secrecy was made necessary by existing conditions, and in no sense reflected upon the bravery of its members, for they were the bravest of the brave. Even at this late day, it is difficult to secure information in regard to this mysterious brotherhood, and many books of reference contain false statements about the clan. To give a detailed history of the clan would require many volumes, for clans were formed in all the southern states, and their membership reached large numbers, estimated at half a million. But in this book may be found true and authentic history answering the following questions. Who were the Ku Klux? Where did the clan originate? What was its object and mission? For the purpose of giving the youth of our land true history about this remarkable organization whose services were of untold value to the South during a dark period of her history, this book is written. The facts herein contained are absolutely authentic, being recorded from the lips of the survivors themselves. Mrs. S. E. F. Rose Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome back to Stop Reading That. So, what you just heard is the introduction to the 1914 book, The Ku Klux Klan, or Invisible Empire, written by Mrs. S.E.F. Rose. When I say that I review zines, fanzines, pulp magazines, and other literary detritus, this book falls into the other literary detritus category. Now, when I was pretty young, about 10 or so, my family took a trip overseas, and our first stop was we flew into Frankfurt. And on the way from the airport to the hotel, we had this tour guide, it was this old German lady. And she said something, I'm paraphrasing here, and I, I won't bother doing the German accent, but she said something along the lines of, you know, when Hitler was in power, you could leave gold out in the streets and it wouldn't get stolen. And when I read The Ku Klux Klan or Invisible Empire, it really reminded me of that moment. Because one of the things that, or two of the things, that reading a book like this brings into stark relief is that, A, something we know, which is history is written by the victors, and B, there are reasons why movements like this are formed and gain popularity, and we often do not think about those things. I had a public school education, and what we learned about Nazi Germany was that the Germans had it rough, and they hated the Jews, so they put Hitler in power. And the thing that we learned about 
the post-war South was that uh, people in the South were a bunch of racists and they hated Reconstruction and that's where the Klan came from. Now, this does not make the things that are contained within this book any less self-serving, but it is a very good reminder that this organization would never have gained the kind of power that it did were people not legitimately upset about certain things. And the Ku Klux Klan or Invisible Empire is very self-serving. I don't know if you picked up on this when I read the introduction, but this was originally intended to be a children's book for children in the South. It received the stamp of approval of Daughters of the Confederacy and Sons of Confederate Soldiers. It contains letters written to the author from original members of the first Ku Klux Klan in the uh, mid-19th century. And just pretty much accepts what they have to say about their organization at face value. The book is pretty racist, even probably by 1914 standards. And to top it off, this is quite wonderful. Mrs. S.E.F. Rose is the granddaughter of Thomas Martin, in whose Pulaski, Tennessee home the Klan was initially founded. So the author herself has a direct connection to the formation of the Ku Klux Klan. All of that being said, here is something that she writes about the South immediately after the Civil War. She writes, No money, no stock to work the ground, and nothing at hand with which to begin life again, so it seemed. Four million slaves suddenly emancipated with no realization whatever of the responsibilities that freedom brought. Many Negroes conceived the idea that freedom meant cessation from labor, so they left the fields crowding into the cities and towns expecting to be fed by the United States government. So agriculture, the chief means of support in the South, was at a standstill. Railroads and other means of transportation were almost wrecked and chaos reigned supreme. To the general confusion was added a flood of adventurers from the North called carpetbaggers, who were not generally Northern soldiers, but mere camp followers of the Northern armies. Men imbued with passions of the lowest order, settling in the South for the purpose of controlling the Southern states by becoming leaders of the Negro voters, the best class of white people being excluded from voting by the Reconstruction measures of Congress. These men hated everything that bore the name Southern, and at once began to inflame the Negroes against their former masters. They were told by these unprincipled men that the Southern people expected to put them back into slavery, and the United States government was going to give every able-bodied Negro man 40 acres of land and a mule. So once again, we see, <clears throat> yeah, this is very self-serving, but at the same time, a lot of this is, you can independently verify this. I think it's pretty well known that people called carpetbaggers, a term which is still around today, 
came into the South from the North to buy up farms and land that had pretty much become worthless. You had millions of people who, as she said, were suddenly free and had no idea what to do with themselves because they had never been free. And moreover, you had uh, you had a lot of people who were illiterate free slaves who were put into positions of power to humiliate the Southerners. Finally, if you've ever seen Gone with the Wind, you know all about the 40 acres and a mule. It's right there in the movie. So you can definitely see the truth slipping through the cracks. Now, is that an excuse? No. But it certainly gives an idea as to how a group like the Klan could come in to have so much influence in the years after the Civil War. At the end of it all, though, what is really striking about the Ku Klux Klan, or Invisible Empire, is just the sheer lack of self-awareness, both by the author and from the people who send her letters. Mrs. Rose devotes a whole section to distinguishing between what she calls the real Klan and the bogus Klan. And by the real clan, she means the original members who were mostly Confederate soldiers. And what she calls the bogus clan, she mostly blames it on sort of false flag operations, which is really funny. She talks about how a bunch of criminals were using the name Ku Klux Klan to go around and commit evil deeds in order to besmirch the name of the Ku Klux Klan. But then she talks about how her, quote, real clan would go around threatening officials with firearms. So even if these weren't members of the official Ku Klux Klan, it really seems to me like it would have been kind of easy to fake that. Moreover, there are several different part places in the book where she talks about how the uh, black people were afraid of the Ku Klux Klan because they thought that these guys in white sheets were the ghosts of their former plantation owners. Um, I've heard that before, and I, I'm sure that there were black people out there who thought that the Klan were ghosts. But the reality probably is that they were afraid of the Klan because it was a bunch of white guys who would show up in the middle of the night wearing white sheets so you couldn't see their faces and carrying guns. So the kinds of bullshit that people are willing to feed themselves is really quite amazing. And it's, it's on full display in this book. All that being said, as far as the review goes, this book is a little over a hundred pages. It's a very fast read. You could probably read, read it in about an hour. If you are a fast reader, probably wouldn't even take you that long. If you happen to be interested in the Civil War in the 19th century or even in the 20th century progressive era, I'd uh, really recommend giving it a look. It's a very interesting primary source historical document. 
I don't know that I would take it at face value as a secondary source but you can read what some of the original clansmen actually wrote about themselves and their organization. If you are interested in contemporary politics, I don't no matter what side you're on really. I would recommend it in this manner by drawing another parallel, which is on September 11th, 2001, you know, when the, when the towers came down and the plane flew into the Pentagon, uh, we were all pretty shocked and pretty pissed off. And there were some people, both on the left and the right, I will name Susan Sontag and Ron Paul, both of whom said something along the lines of, you know, there's a reason that these people did what they did and it wasn't just because they hated our freedom and at the time the people who said that were just straight up villainized but 17 years later i think that we can all look back on that and realize that they were right in many ways and it's kind of funny to me that we can look at Al-Qaeda through those eyes, but we can't really look at the American South post-war in the same way. Hell, one of the hardest parts about doing this review has been that I've been trying to make it clear that I am not condoning what the Klan did, as if anyone should even have to make that disclaimer. And all of that is something to think about no matter what side you're on. So, you know, the Ku Klux Klan or Invisible Empire, uh, definitely not a literary masterpiece. Uh, I think you, if you read it, you'll learn a few things. It's got some interesting historical data, uh, some interesting little tidbits, and uh, like I said, as a primary source, it's really fascinating. As I said, it's a very fast read. Someone was good enough to check it out of the Cornell Library and upload it onto the archive so you can read it for free. Uh, at worst, you'll waste a little bit of time, but it's not going to be that much time. So I really appreciate you listening. This has been kind of an experimental episode. I haven't really done a book yet. Uh, the next episode I have planned is on the British Zine Head Press. I am still working on Shock Value by John Waters. As always, I appreciate everybody who listens in on this, and I just hope you enjoy it. All right, I will talk to you soon. Goodbye.